today's topic is the role of the family in solving chronic pain. Hi, this is David Hanscom. I'm the author of Back in Control and a spine surgeon in Seattle, Washington. And today we're going to discuss a topic that's been quite front and center the last 18 months, and that's the role of the family in chronic pain. And what we know about chronic pain is basically a neurological issue, and the the neuroscientists have a saying that's quite succinct and quite accurate, is that neurons that fire together wire together. So we know that pain in general causes anxiety and frustration, and when other outside circumstances cause anxiety and frustration, they're just simply linked to the pathways pain pathways. So there's research actually done in this where people get triggered and their pain predictably goes up and is both a chemical change in the body being stressed and frustrated, which increases nerve conduction, but it's also a direct link to the pain pathways. The Maybe the most perverse part of the human experience is that one of the basic human needs is to be connected to other human beings, and that's how we survive. That's how we evolved. That's how we survived. And then we basically are very tribal society. Again, that's how we survived. So what happens is that the deeper the connection, the better, which obviously is a family, but also the deeper connection, the deeper the triggers. So what we're finding out on a consistent basis is that we can do all these different medical interventions, but if we don't address the family triggers, it wipes everything out completely. Conversely, if we address the family triggers, we're seeing incredibly powerful turnarounds in chronic pain very quickly. So we know that sleep, stress, physical conditioning, et cetera, make a big difference, but the family issues have become very, very much front and center. So today I have a guest, Tom Masters, who has been working with me for several years, and also my wife, Babs Yohai, who she'll testify that family triggers are the real thing. We get to struggle with this too. But I can guarantee you 100% that families trigger each other, Everybody argues is part of the human condition. And when people tell me they don't, I go, really? They're either sort of internally divorced and not really have a relationship. But if you have a relationship with members of your family, they are going to trigger you, whether it's your spouse, mother, father, children, it doesn't matter. So we've come up with a series of podcasts on the family. This will be probably the next five to six podcasts in general to be on the family specifically. We'll also pull part of my other staff in to discuss this in some detail. But what we're seeing in the office on a regular basis is absolutely stunning. So I have a set of instructions I'm going to go over today. It's actually on the website. And by the way, the whole process of back and control is on the website, backandcontrol.com. And what I do if you're my patient, I go, look, here's some basic concepts about chronic pain. It's maybe three to five minutes. I ask people to jump on the website and actually start on stage one before they even read my book. But I really want them to go to the family issues right off the beginning. And I, I ask them a couple things. I said, look, I want each adult member in the family, including teenage kids, to engage in the process, but separately. In other words, each person do their own separate thing. The second thing is, which is really tricky, is I want you to never discuss your pain again ever when you walk out this door ever with anybody except your medical providers. What I didn't realize, my wife and I put on seminars back east and also occasionally on the west coast, which are three to five, three to five day workshops where people in a group get together, share, learn strategies. And the basic ground rule we put in place is simply never discussing your pain. What I didn't realize until we did these workshops about how much people in pain discuss their pain, and I get it, 
chronic pain is overwhelming. It wipes out your life completely. So it's hard not to talk about your pain. The problem is your brain's going to develop wherever you place its attention. And if your attention's on the pain, guess what? That's where your, your brain simply develops. We know the brain's very neuroplastic. It changes by the second. And if you spend time talking about your pain, it's a big problem. So people literally look at me and go, well, what do we talk about? The third thing I do is I ask people to, on the way home, to spend an hour remembering when things were really fun and enjoyable and remember it in detail. And it's not a positive thinking thing, but it's just simply waking up a part of the brain that's fun. And when I ask people when was the last time you had fun, they look at me and go, well, it's been a while because chronic pain literally wipes out the family. Then the final thing, which we'll discuss later, is simply bringing it home and making a resolution never to argue argue or fight in the house. In other words, create a safe place at home. But that's a whole separate topic. So I want to go into that second one, which is not discussing your pain. In Babs, I like to have Babs comment her experience on, she does workshops with me. She's a professional tap dancer and brings in the element of play and rhythm into the workshops. And I'd like to get her viewpoint on what we have found out as far as people not discussing their pain. So I guess I guess she's off the phone right now. So what happens is that we have done this workshop together, and she and I have found out, and actually my daughter also does this workshop also, is that it's actually really hard. Because what happens is that we know the unconscious brain is a million times stronger than the conscious brain. The behavioral patterns we have embedded in our nervous system are hard to break. And that's why New Year's resolutions never work, because, again, it's a million-to-one ratio. That's why talking things out when you're angry or frustrated never works, because you're dealing with these unconscious survival patterns. So the simple tool of not discussing your pain is a conscious pattern that actually works because it's somewhat arbitrary and you just stop you stop discussing your pain and Tom I know you've been with me for quite a while also um, do you have any thoughts on that your perspective of people talking or not discussing their pain uh, yes I, I think that um, I've noticed that with acquaintances uh, that I've had that have experienced uh, chronic pain and it does seem to be a primary topic of conversation and just the discussion of it seems to uh, ramp up uh, their anxiety about it. Uh, so I, I, uh, that's just been a personal observation. That's not a, you know, it, I, I don't understand all of the neuroscience behind it, but I, I, uh, I have seen that with a number of that I've known that have experienced chronic pain on them. And it seems that uh, they want to talk about it, but when they do talk about it, it actually uh, it actually seems to uh, ramp up their anxiety about it. Right. Well, I, I agree with that. And we also know when you are anxious, it actually increases the stress chemicals in the blood, the adrenaline and cortisol and histamines. And we know from animal studies, it actually increases the conduction of the nerves. So you actually feel the pain more, plus the direct link. So it's remarkable really remarkable how much people do talk about their pain. I honestly had no idea. And Tom, why do you think people end up talking about their pain so much? I mean, what, what do you think, uh, what, do, what do you think should be such oh, a, I mean, it's actually what happens, it wears them out. I mean, everybody get they get tired of it, their family gets tired of it, 
And I will tell you, when I, when I ask my patients to simply never discuss their pain again ever, especially their family, I mean, it's just a huge sigh of relief from the family. And then I have to say, I'm not trying to do this on purpose, but really the patient looks at me and really doesn't know what to do. And so it becomes a major topic of conversation. And unfortunately, you know, they're not reading the news. They're not going out as much. They're becoming more and more socially isolated. So it turns out that this chronic pain just suffocates them. It's like a big black cloud coming into the house. And it just sort of wipes out the fun part. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of times, um, as I say with acquaintances I've had, uh, I think they're not aware of how much they are discussing it um, because it's so right. prominent. And never mind, I, I think um, they don't realize that it's become just the dominant, the dominant factor. And so, um, uh, but, it, you know, it's uppermost in their mind, so they just discuss it naturally, but I think they're not aware that other people, you know, are sensing that, how much they're focused on it. Right. No, I, I agree. I think that it becomes such a habit that they actually don't, see its effect on people around them. They also, people, you know, chronic pain complain that they've lost a lot of their friends, that friends don't want to hang around them anymore. And I think it's because of two reasons. One of them is is that, you know, they're, see, when you talk about your pain, is that you really just frustrate your family members because they can't do anything about it. I mean, number one, they just can't do anything about them. So it triggers a very frustrating response in them. Second of all, they don't want to see you suffer. I mean, it's not great for them to watch their family members suffer. But the third thing, which I think becomes somewhat simple, is just not that much fun. I mean, it's really not that much fun hearing somebody discuss their pain. So again, your brain's going to develop wherever you place its attention. You can't control your unconscious brain, but you can direct it. And the analogy I like to use is like directing a river into a different channel, is that if you direct your attention towards good food, good wine, good friends, etc., why that's where your brain's going to develop, and those parts of the brain already exist. You don't have to make those up. So again, the brain is very neuroplastic. It changes by the second. So even the last five minutes, your brain has made a lot of new connections, probably more than you can count. So the brain keeps changing by the second, so you definitely can direct traffic to where you want it to go. And then I just didn't realize how deep this whole gut, the term I use in the book, of course, is called the abyss. And it's such a dark spot that people honestly can't put it into words. I don't think there's any psychological term that adequately describes the pure darkness, which is a combination of every emotion possible in this whole. Then, of course, nobody's given them an answer to the chronic pain, so they feel incredibly trapped, and they feel hopeless. They're just frustrated as can be. And so it consumes their entire well-being, and really, what else are they going to talk about? Unless you actually make an active choice to not discuss your pain, I think that's what you're going to discuss. So and, uh, what? How, how would you how would you recommend that they get started on that track? I mean, is there is there a process that you have to uh, you know refocus attention to something else? Or yeah, this has been fascinating. Is that I don't think there's any shortcuts on this one. So I do ask. Remember the first request I ask. And we're going to talk about this maybe on the next show. I ask everybody in the household to participate in the project. In other words, they read the website, they do their own exercises, et cetera, et cetera. So I ask them to go, go all in, but I also ask them to put up like a 
imaginary 10-foot concrete wall between them when it comes to the medical care, tells about their pain. And I also ask the patient, they go, well, what if I hurt getting out of a chair? But what happens, and patients don't see this either, is that they exhibit a lot of what we call pain behavior. They grab their leg, they grimace, et cetera. And what happens is that the re- there's a basic, there's a great research paper of 105 couples that they put a monitors on both couples and the patient pain would grab the leg or the arm, grimace or groan or complain. And then the partner would have a predictably hostile ex- response. And was, what was interesting, this happened in every one of the 105 couples. It wasn't some did and some didn't. So the spouse would have a predictably hostile response. And again, with repetition, you honestly can't blame the spouse. And then they monitor the patient's pain on a little bit of a scale, and the pain predictably went up. And what was fascinating is that the person in pain knew they would get a hostile response, and they knew their pain would go up, but they would keep doing it. In other words, these are not rational patterns. So I think when it comes to irrational patterns like anger, frustration, anxiety, that you just have to make a conscious decision to just stop. Just stop. So it's an absolute because it's easy to monitor, right? person complains. So it goes both ways because what happens is spouse often ask the person how they're doing, and the patient is supposed to remind their spouse or partner that, well, the doctor asked me not to discuss my pain. And then when the patient starts complaining to their family, any one of them, the family's role say, look, this is not in your best interest to discuss the pain, stop. And it's interesting because somehow patients take it upon themselves to help their family, which I get it, and it sounds very counterintuitive, but we also have the term called enabling, where we enable people to stay in an addiction or stay in pain. And when you play into that whole process of complaining, why you're actually really being very counterproductive. So, so is tricky. that a, a, an example of that would be that where you, you the person complains about the pain and you say, oh, yeah, that must be really bad, or you, that kind of behavior where you're sort of supporting them and their feelings? Yeah, I mean, it's, I know this sounds harsh, and but it's been remarkable how well it's worked. So I think it's fine. Well, first of all, the patient is not supposed to be talking about their pain at all. Period. So you're right. At this point, what do you do? So your spouse or partner complains about their pain, and you can say, you know, I'm sorry, which I think is a reasonable thing to do, but, you know, the doctor reminded us that we're not supposed to discuss the pain. I think it just becomes a very arbitrary thing. And you're going to fail. In other words, if the person keeps doing it and the partner keeps, you know, playing into it, these behavioral patterns are incredibly strong. So it's a learned skill. So when people come in, within the first couple of weeks, why they're encouraged and discouraged at the same time. But a month or six weeks into it, they come in honestly smiling. They're excited. They see some possibility of breaking out of this cycle. And then the focus really becomes on expanding their life. And in general, you can't solve chronic pain. Those are permanent embedded circuits that are memorized and you can't get rid of them. But what you do, you separate and you move away from the pain into a better life. So one of the things that our patients often put on their questionnaires that helps them heal from their chronic pain, by the way, the pain really does eventually go away, is reengaging with family and friends. 
And I also didn't realize how socially isolated that people become in chronic pain, but complaining about the pain pushes people away. So people don't want to see you suffer, but they also don't want to hear about it because it doesn't help their day become a better day. Right. So it's, uh, it's you, a very... Uh, do you counsel... Do you counsel the, the family and the patient together then initially to sort of put them both, or do you do this uh, separately? Well, it's a tricky deal because we're, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a marriage counselor, and we call it, it's sort of like breaking up two boxers in a ring. You just say, stop it, you know, break it up, don't talk. And again, these are huge patterns. So on the first visit, often the patient's there by himself or herself. And on the second visit, we always ask the rest of the family that will come in that can come in. And then on, on follow-up visits, we want the whole family there because it really makes a huge difference. And then also we can, we can I use the word coach them. We're not counselors. We also find out it's actually counterproductive for the family to get involved in the actual issues, whether it's what's also fascinating. There's a little bit of a different topic, but... You know, my wife and I get triggered over the kitchen cabinets. I tend to leave them open, and she gets really upset about that because I'm not, quote, respecting her, and we've learned the patterns where that involves. But the other thing that's fascinating is the dishwasher. It's incredible how many people get triggered by how their spouse or partner loads the dishwasher, which honestly never hit my consciousness, but or it's how they put their shoes away or their different hygiene issues. I mean, they're just little things, but with repetition, I also – this. I don't want to sound too negative on this, but in some ways, marriage is like chronic pain. In other words, you have lots of things that are positive, great, rich life, but what pushes marriage, which pushes marriages and relationships apart, apart is like a reverse magnet, is you try not to think about something. It's sort of a hassle not to deal with this issue initially, but it's repetition of the negatives. Very small things over time become a big deal, so it actually causes a lot of disruption in families as a neurological trick. So this repetition of negatives is a very similar situation as chronic pain. So again, I think that's why dealing with the family issues has been so powerful because it's somewhat the same metaphor about how you deal with pain. You need to dwell on the negatives. And again, we try not to dwell on them. You're screwed. If you dwell on them, it's also a problem. So that's where you simply understand this is irrational. You simply stop and then redirect. And that's why one of the homework patterns, homework requests, is to really remember in detail when things were really fun. Is again a topic of another podcast, but the effects of chronic pain on the family are absolutely devastating, especially to the children, which who are also triggers. And that's a whole topic you know I'm very, I feel very strongly about is that you're as parents, you're the protector. It's your job to protect and nurture. It's not to be triggered by your kids because usually, I mean, you're the adult. But anyway, going back to the whole process, by simply not bringing pain into the household, people can start to relax. So the children are in a better environment, the spouse is having a better time. You start waking the part of the brain up that's good and enjoyable. And once you understand this neurological trick here of the brain, and simply just stopping it, things change relatively quickly. So again, I think the trump card in chronic pain, by the way, is the family. Like I said before, you can do all these incredible medical interventions but if you go home and get triggered, remember your deepest connections are your deepest triggers. If you go home and get triggered, you're done. It, it just wipes out everything. Conversely, which has been fascinating and really exciting for us, is that once a family is locked into the concepts, 
it could take, you know, four to six weeks to get started. And, of course, as they learn skill, it gets better over time. The results are just absolutely inspiring. We're having the best time with this. Now, are there, um, you know, when you uh, mentioned about having people remembering the fun times, do you um, have them do some physical activity around that? For instance, looking at a photo album with photos from that time or just writing down something as a remembrance? Do you need to combine a physical activity with the remembering uh, to reinforce? You know, that's I haven't done that, but that's a great idea. That's really an excellent idea. Yeah, I mean, one of favorite songs that you like to listen to together or photo albums or... Yeah, absolutely. That's a great idea. Honestly, I'm going to start doing that. In fact, that might be my next blog. My next blog post. No, that's a great idea. Absolutely, <laughs> I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, why not? Because the visual. Yeah, I, you know, I, we uh, the... I just. Go ahead. Yeah, it seemed like you mentioned that, that you know the neurons that uh, fire together, wire together, and maybe right. that physicality of the remembrance causes and strengthens that firing. I was just wondering if that's that. Right. Well, there's a neuroscientist out of Australia. His name is Lorimer Mosley, who points out that all the, all the sensory inputs count. So if, for instance, with pain, if you take a, an experimental situation where you put a uncomfortable cold sensation on somebody's arm, you can actually quantitate it and measure it. So the idea is you do a control where you put the pain impulse onto the forearm, and then people say stop when they can't tolerate it anymore. They can measure that number. And then they show the person a blue light, and they do the same stimulus. They show people a red light and show them the same stimulus. They find out when people are looking at the red light that their pain tolerance goes down quite a bit. It's, It's quite significant in every person. So, again, your brain is already signaling danger visually, and then you are feeling a painful impulse physically. So those two impulses together go to a similar part of the brain, which creates that uncomfortable particular sensation that we call pain. By the, by the way, pain is critical for survival. So you start combining cues, why it does make a difference. So I think your idea of looking at listening to songs, photo albums, maybe redoing a trip that you did years ago, et cetera, maybe redevelop some, some family activities you did when your kids were young, et cetera. I think that's a great idea. I think that's a wonderful idea. So, yeah, the family's other, been good. Um, oh, I, I was going to ask if there are any other uh, routine activities that um, that the family members could do to help break that cycle of discussing pain, or you know, that that to sort of move pain out of the out of the consciousness when, of the Yeah, one recommendation that we my uh, we went as a family, went to a school back east called the Hyde School, and they gave us a, a structure which I thought was extremely interesting and helpful, is that, you know, these family patterns are tough, and unless you're thoughtful and proactive in solving them, they become a problem. So one of the recommendations, when you come out of the first two to four weeks of at least breaking the cycle of talking about the pain, is to have a family meeting once a week with an agenda, and simply go through the issues, and triggering in this situation is simply not allowed. You go through a business agenda, of course. In a way, running a marriage or a family in a home is, is your own personal business of how you deal with life in general, with societal issues, et cetera. 
So yeah, having a family meeting once a week with probably different family members each week running the meeting is 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 very helpful. Big deal. And again, one of the topics would be, well, how are we doing this week about not discussing the pain? But by bringing up the issue of not discussing the pain as a family entity, it completely changes the game because again, the family has been bombarded with pain complaints. It's been a negative energy. There's a process we'll talk about later called mirror neurons where you really bring the energy into the household and it becomes very, very dark for everybody. So conversely, once you flip it around and quit talking about the pain, things go to neutral pretty quickly. Then that part you just talked about, about looking at pictures, good food, good wine, good friends, and start recreating that part of your life, which was there for most people. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a couple in the first place or a family. Reconnecting with that energy is a big deal. It's been very fascinating. I had one couple who is about 25 years old. They've been dating about a year and a half. And both had anxiety, both had chronic pain. And the guy had been in pain for about 10 years. And to make a long story short, and I love working with kids in their 20s because they're, I mean, you have neuroplasticity in your brain until you die. But when you're younger, it's just faster. And so they came in at two weeks. But at six weeks, they were so excited they quit fighting, quit arguing, quit triggering each other, his pain had essentially disappeared. And again, we see this all the time. People's pain really does disappear. And they're both going to counseling now and going forward. And just the transformation within six weeks was incredibly rewarding. And really just putting together these arbitrary rules for the arbitrary triggers was a major factor in helping them turn that around. But yeah, he went to pain-free. That's amazing. All right. Uh, but I know, uh, having read many of the testimonials on your website, that, uh, as you say, you experience this with patients all the time. Yeah. No, it's been a it's been, uh, really incredibly unexpected, rewarding phase of my career. I think we're out of time, and we'll be discussing a series of episodes on the family specifically. We've really enjoyed working with this scenario. It's just evolving. We have a lot to learn. We'll get lots of input from our listeners going forward about what possibilities or suggestions we could do. But I always learn something, and today I learned about I'm going to start instituting pictures and songs as part of the uh, connecting to the best part of uh, of life. So I appreciate that suggestion. So thanks for your input, Tom, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be on next week with further uh, further insights about the family. So thank you, everybody, very much. Mm-hmm.